The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran But the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first. And he saw and believed, for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So what's so obvious as we read from the word of God today and from last night's liturgy, the the sacred Easter vigil, where we read at least five readings covering all of salvation history. What stands out is God's desire to give us life. He created the whole universe out of love. And as the crowning jewel of creation, he created man and woman. And everything else was created for us. He wanted to provide for all of us, not just create life and then let it run its course in some haphazard way, but there was order to everything. There was a purpose. And the purpose of all of creation was simply to provide us life and life in abundance. Life in abundance. God is a provident God, an abundant God, not one of scarcity. And then, of course, in that second reading last night, and what we have been recalling these last couple days with Holy Thursday and Good Friday, is how God saved his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, delivered them from Pharaoh, took them through the Red Sea in a miraculous way. On the night of Passover, the angel of death passed over the houses of the Israelites that had the blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorpost, which was, of course, anticipating Christ's sacrifice on the cross when he would shed his blood for us. So Jesus was fulfilling all of these prophecies And yet, as it says here in the last line of today's gospel, they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. That would have blown their minds. Unthinkable. And yet, just a few weeks before Passover, he he, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. 
raising the bar, so to speak, about what he was capable of doing. But that he would raise himself from the dead? That was going to be something that they didn't understand until it happened. And so God, even after our first parents sinned, after they were deceived by the ancient serpent, the devil himself, after they distrusted their good, good father, God wanted to save. He wanted to redeem. Evil was not going to have the last word. And that's what we're celebrating today, the victory of Jesus over even death itself. And it's amazing how God did it. He chose to destroy death by dying himself. What a paradox. Something only God can do. And he does it again and again and again, all throughout salvation history. And perhaps you see it even in your own life or in the life of your family or or, or a community where there's tragedy, where there's disaster, where there's trauma. God can come in there and redeem it all. And, And there's this great exchange that God is always willing to engage in. Today, we get life for death. And because of sin, we experience this shame, this disfiguration and distortion of our image, of ourselves, our identity, you could say. Even the image of God that we have has been distorted because of sin and our perception of God. But again, Jesus, the Son, is sent by the Father precisely to show us the Father, the true face of God. And he reveals to us, as Pope John Paul II liked to say so often, he fully reveals to man the meaning of his life. Jesus Christ is the answer to the question that is every human life. And so Jesus takes our shame away, and in exchange for that shame and that guilt of sin... What does he give us? He gives us his glory. His glory. If you haven't read John chapter 17 in a while, go back and read that. I read it on Thursday night in front of the Blessed Sacrament at the altar of repose. His most fervent prayer at the Last Supper, after he had already washed the feet of his disciples and instituted the Eucharist, he prays this prayer that we all be one and that unity would be brought about with the Father and the Son and his people through the Holy Spirit, his glory as he refers to it in John chapter 17. And it's the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says, that rose or that raised up Jesus from the dead, that power of God, that glory of God that third person of the Holy Trinity who lives in each and every one of you. That's what God gave us in exchange for sin and shame. It's a great gift. And it's the first, it's the pledge, you might say, from God, 
for our inheritance. It's the first installment of our inheritance of eternal life. It's that Holy Spirit, that new life. So God didn't just give us our old life back. As I like to say, it's not that he just used some kind of super glue to put the pieces back together. No, he actually made it even better. And that's why we have this beautiful hymn that they sing at the Easter Vigil, the Exultet. And there's a line in there that says, basically, Oh, happy fault, O necessary sin of Adam, that won for us so great a Redeemer and so great a redemption. So what we have now is better than what Adam and Eve had. Adam and Eve did not have this participation in divine nature, in glory, that we have even now. Sure, we still have to wrestle with our broken humanity and sin, this side of heaven. But we already participate in God's divine nature through our baptism. And we're, we're going to renew our baptismal vows in just a minute. Instead of praying the creed today, we renew our baptismal promises. And for all of us, it's an opportunity to renew our appreciation for what we have received from God, through God, and in God. So it is divine life. It's glory even though we don't experience it to the full just yet, this side of heaven, it is, as I said, God's pledge to us of a future inheritance. And then finally, I would say that in exchange for the lies and the hopelessness and the despair that the ancient serpent wants us to get bogged down with, God gives us truth, goodness, and beauty. The philosophers call those three things the transcendentals because they do transcend all of creation in some way. And again, we were made for that. What's the object of your mind? It's the truth, right? We want to know the truth. Nobody wants to be deceived. But that's the ancient serpent, always trying to deceive you, always trying to lie about who you are and about who God is. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is not just something, it's someone. It is Jesus. What about our hearts? What's the object of our hearts? It's the beautiful. We're attracted to beauty. Our hearts long to be united with beauty. And God is the most beautiful creature. And then good, our wills want to do good. They're attracted to the good. And so God gives us that truth, goodness, and beauty in exchange for the lies and the shame and the hopelessness, the despair. So that's why I said that Jesus, our risen Lord, is our living hope. He's the source of our living hope. Today is the miracle of miracles. As St. Paul said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. We don't believe in just a good person. Christianity is not just a moral code to follow. Nobody gets excited about a moral code. 
I don't anyway, <laughs> right? As my housemate, Father Jason, pointed out this morning, there's a lot of people running around today in the gospel. A lot, Mary Magdalene and Peter and John, they're all running around with excitement, with, with anticipation. Nobody runs around excited about a moral code. <laughs> we get excited about a person. We get excited about love and life and hope. Well, that's Jesus. That's our good, good father. That's the Holy Spirit. And we have been brought into their life, their exchange of love. And so we're also sent out. We're we're brought in. We're gathered together in Christ's love. But then he also asks us to go out so that he can live his resurrected life in each and every one of us. He doesn't want us to be ashamed of who we are. He wants us to be proud of who we are in him. Amen? (laughs) Don't be afraid of who you are in Christ. He's proud of who you are because he created you. So we should love to be our true selves. I was praying about this this morning. You know, when Jesus says that we should all become like children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is it about a child that knows it's loved by its parents? No shame, right? Walk around the house bare naked and couldn't care less, right? No shame in a little child, just happy as can be. And that's how God wants us to be living without any shame, without any fear, to go about allowing him to live his life through us and with us and in us. We are his mystical body. We are his church. We're his bride, even. And so it is each and every one of you that is called by name and appointed by God himself to carry on his legacy. This resurrected legacy, if you will. And so in that way, we can approach each and every day with great expectation. Even when there's tragedy and sorrow, we know that we can love no matter what. And love never dies. God is love, and as we can see from today, love never dies. Love is stronger than death. Let's say that all together. Love is stronger than death. So we can't lose. Love can never lose. So that's why we can approach each and every day with love, knowing that we are going to win. Amen.